0: Um, Lord, be with us now. and Jennifer. Yeah. preaches to. Um, open our hearts and our minds to hear the message clearly. And um, help us to apply it in our everyday life Through this week, we ask in
1: Jesus' Alright, so I think we're having some technical difficulties, and so we're not going to show both, uh, the time of reflection video. But I hope we still have the gods on the right, Okay. All right. That's all right. We'll, 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 uh, we'll give their questions. Um, so, let me just put this down until the slides are ready. The sermon title, as Roy mentioned, is called The God of April. The God of April. Now, what do I mean by that? You see, April has always been a very interesting month for me. For example, April of 2005, I was um, about to graduate from uni. Um, I had done a French literature undergrad degree, and I was thinking of going into theology um, of becoming a professor at the seminary, and that means, you know, post-grad and a doctorate and all that, and honestly, I was really nervous and anxious and scared about even going down that path, even though that's what I told people when they asked me what, you know, what I was planning on doing. Even though I told people that, one, I wasn't sure how I was going to pay for it, because unlike Australia, the uh, U.S. does not have hex. Um, it would have cost about $100,000 a year to do that, uh, which I didn't have. And so I wasn't really sure as I was nearing the end of my uh, uni degree whether that was the path that God wanted me to go down. And I frankly was scared about, you know, doing a doctorate and what would I even study and what exactly uh, would that mean. And at the same time, there was this opportunity in New York City. They were looking for someone to come to a church there in Manhattan and work. And I was wondering, is this even something I'm qualifying for? So April, very stressful. Fast forward 2007, April. Um, I did end up working in New York City. My time was now over, almost. May was the end, and almost now I'm faced with this new dilemma again. What, now what, God? Now what do I do with my life? Do I um, go back to my previous plan of doing or? Now this new possibility of becoming a pastor, which was really, really scary, to be honest, um, came up. And I had never in my wildest dreams my entire life, nor my family, or anyone near me, would have ever thought that I would become a pastor. And when the first um, idea was presented to me by a friend of mine, who was a pastor in New Jersey conference, he um, asked me, you know, why don't you just go to your seminary and become a pastor? And I wrestled, and I was really confused about... Was that even possible? Is that what God wanted from me? So, lots of angst. Fast forward three years later, April 2010, I had graduated from the seminary, and you'd think then I would have learned confidence that God, you know, is working in my life, but no, I was um, a mess. I didn't know what God wanted me to do um, because originally I was supposed to go back to New York because they did end up sponsoring me, but... Because of the uh, global financial crisis, I uh, couldn't go back to New York because they couldn't hire anyone. And all of a sudden, I was faced with this dilemma of, well, where do I go? Um, What churches should I apply for? Should I even continue going down this path? Or uh, once again, should I go down teaching? Should I do something else? And on top of that, there was this guy who was interested in me, and he's supposed to go back to Australia, like, should I date him? I really had no idea. So that was April 2010. Fast forward two years, April 2012. I'm marrying the aforementioned guy from (laughs) Australia. And it's our wedding day. And we're standing there, you know, doing our wedding vows. You know how that goes. For richer, how does it go? Or for poor. poor. But inside I was thinking for poor or for poor. Because (laughs) at that moment, even though Roy was supposed to go back to Australia, um, the church that he was supposed to work at fell through. And it didn't happen. And I had already quit my job because I thought we were coming to Australia. So we were both unemployed when we got married. <laughs> so we're like, we literally on our wedding day, we're like, we have no idea what God wants to do with our lives. We have no idea where to go after this, after we come back from our honeymoon. Um, how to even keep on paying our bills. Um, it was really an uncertain future. Fast forward one year, April 2013, It's a few weeks before Micah's due date, and once again, I am just wrecked with anxiety. You know, Uh, scared about the process, wondering if I'm going to be good mom. And just you know, as I was preparing this during this week, I was thinking, you know, April 2014 has been pretty good. I don't, I don't think there's been you know this massive anxiety or you know something major happening um, like I have had in the other April. But I think God wanted to give me some illustration because um, yesterday I find out that our bridging visa, we're leaving when? Wednesday. Our bridging visa um, has some complications and of course the fact that there's like three days of holidays um, in, the, in the recent past didn't help. Um, so right now I still have to work it out with them um, on Monday so that we can leave on Wednesday. And then on top of that, this morning um, I was backing out of the parking lot of Milton um, Church and back into another car. <laughs> so I'm going to have to deal with that before I leave on Wednesday um, and fix fix their car and my car and all that. Well, my car's fine. I'm fine. It's really not that bad. <laughs> but it's just another thing to make me not like April. April is just that month for me, and maybe it is for you. Maybe it has been for you. April has been um, you know, maybe not specifically April, but the times in your life when things have been uncertain, things have been stressful, things have been Oh, difficult, to say the least. And my question today um, is, in those moments of uncertainty, in those moments of stress, in those moments of anxiety, wondering what God's plan is for your life, what is God thinking? What is God doing? Why is it that our month of April seems to be when God is most silent? Or why is it that our our prayers are not answered right away? What exactly is going on in the month of April?
0: So I want to look at
1: three um, stories in the Bible um, that happened during the month of April. And I want us to look at those examples as, as, as examples of times when people went through difficult times. And even though God does not always explain himself, and even though there might not always be an answer as to the difficulties that we go through in life, I think there's enough in the Bible to give us hope and give us courage and wisdom to get through our month of April. So. We don't. Can't be done. All right. That's all right. I hope you have your Bibles. Let's turn to Exodus. I right, typed them all up for you, Sam. <laughs> oh, yeah. Exodus chapter um, 4. <laughs> Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter
0: 4.
1: And just to give you a little context <laughs> here the Israelites have been plagued in Egypt for 400 years. That's a long time. If you think you've been waiting a long time for an answer to prayer, try 400 years, right? So the Israelites are waiting, wondering, where is God? How come we are still slaves here? Um, has God forgotten us? And then finally, right, burning bush, Moses comes, da, 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 and he says, I'm going to die. God has sent me to deliver uh, the Israelites out. Wonderful news, right? Let's read that. So it's Exodus chapter 4. And let's pick up in verse 29. Exodus chapter 4, verse 29. And it says, That Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs in the sight of the people. So the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel, and that he had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. In other words, praise the Lord. You can imagine the Israelites are saying, Okay, when can we start packing? Right? When are we leaving? But look what happens next, chapter 5, verses 1 uh, to 2. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold the feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. Now what happens next is that Pharaoh is very upset that they've even asked this preposterous thing. And what he says is, you know what? You guys are just being lazy. You don't have enough work on your hands. And he says, you're now going to have to make the same number of bricks, but without straw. Now you have to go find your own straw. So imagine, God has just said He's going to deliver you, but instead of deliverance, there comes more difficulty. Now if you skip down, to the end of that chapter it says in verse 19 chapter 5 verse 19 and the officers of the children of israel saw that they were in trouble after it was said you shall not reduce any bricks from your daily us. then as they came out from pharaoh they met moses and aaron who stood there to meet them and they said to them let the lord look upon you and judge because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us verse 22. so moses returned to the lord and said lord why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it that you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Um, neither have you delivered your people at all. I think that's a very fair complaint, right? I think I can totally relate to what Moses is saying. He's saying, God, you said you're going to deliver them, but instead, more evil has come upon them. More difficulty. Have you ever felt that way before? Maybe you know, you decided to follow God, and then after you make that kind of a decision, instead of your life becoming easier, right, all of a sudden your life becomes harder. And you you wonder, and you ask God, God, I thought if I follow you, everything is going to be rosy. I thought if I followed you, you know, everything will work out and you're going to fix all my problems. Why is it that ever since I started following God, all these troubles are happening? And that's exactly what the Israelites and Moses are saying to God, God, How come everybody around us, who is not worshiping you, things are going so great them? Have you ever thought that before? Have you ever looked around and thought, you know, this person doesn't believe in God, and yet they have great relationships, they get promotions at work, um, they get holidays in Europe, and everything in life is rosy and perfect. Meanwhile, I'm doing my best to be a Christian, but I'm going through so much difficulty. Financial troubles, relationship troubles, family life troubles. You know, what is going on, God? This is what God answers to Moses in chapter 6. He says, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. This is verse 1 of chapter 6 of Exodus. For with a strong hand he will let them go, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of this land. He doesn't really answer the question why, right? <laughs> but listen to what he says. He says, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared <laughs> excuse me, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of the pilgrimage in which they were strangers. And I have heard the groanings of the children of Israel who the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. And then this is what God tells Moses to go and say. Say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. I will redeem you with the right out stretched arm and with great judgment. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brings you up from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as heritage. I am the Lord. So notice what God does not do. He does not sit there and say, well, actually, this is why Pharaoh is being upset, and this is why you, know, you have to wait, and he does imply something, but, he, but instead of focusing so much on defending himself, instead God really focuses on what he's going to do. He reiterates his promise, I'm going to free you, but that's not all I'm going to do. I'm actually going to make you my people. You're going to learn to trust me, and not only am I going to just move you out of Egypt, I'm going to take you to this other promised land where you are going to become a great nation. God has something in mind that is so much more than just relocation. It's not just about real estate. In other words, you can take a man out of a country, but, help me, you can't take the country out of a man. Of man. Yeah. What good is it if God just simply moved the Israelites out of Egypt if their mentality is still that of a slave? After 400 years of slavery, do you think it'd be easy for them all of a sudden to switch on? and become free, independent people, able to fight off many, many tribes in Canaan, able to um, become a courageous uh, you know, nation of soldiers, and defend and, and keep their own land. God had so much more in mind than just real estate. He wanted to truly free them. Have you ever heard of J.C. Dugard? If you go home, Google her, because I had a picture of her. She was. 11 years old when she was abducted um, by a man who was a pedophile and an abuser. And basically what happened was this man took her and kept her uh, captive for 18 years. 18 years. During which time uh, she had two children by him. Now, long story short, she gets discovered and, um, you know, taken out. And they asked her, did you ever try to escape? Guess how many times she tried to escape in 18 years? Not once. Not once. She wasn't locked up. She wasn't chained. But you know what happened? This abuser had convinced her that, one, um, she was helping him. And she actually says that. There was a quote quote by her where she says, In a twisted, sick way, I thought I was helping him because he told me he had a sex problem and that by keeping me, um, he wasn't going out there raping other women. And so, in a sick, twisted way, I thought I was helping someone. And also, because she had two children, this guy had convinced her that the world out there was a scary world full of pedophiles and abusers and rapists, and that this was the safest place to be. And so she honestly thought, in my backyard, here, the children are safe. Out there, I don't know what's out there. It's scary. Therefore, it's better for me to stay here. 18 years, and her mind had been so warped Uh, by the abuse, the the verbal, the physical, sexual abuse of this man and spiritual abuse of this man. So can you imagine what 400 years were to to a nation who had been so used to being uh, abused verbally, physically, emotionally, probably sexually, uh, and spiritually? In every single way, they had trusted or they had believed the lies of the Egyptians and those around them. That even if God had just simply removed them out of bondage, they wouldn't truly be free. So instead, God said, I'm going to use this time. You wait. I'm going to manifest my power, he says. I'm going to show my mighty hand so that you will learn to trust me and so you can see how t- truly terrible Pharaoh really is. Here's how one commentator put it. I really like the way that um, she put this. She says the Hebrews had expected to obtain their freedom without any special trial of their faith or any real suffering or hardship, but, thou, but they were not yet prepared for deliverance. They had little faith in God and were unwilling patiently to endure their affliction until he should see fit to work for them. Many were content to remain in bondage rather than meet the difficulties attending removal to a strange land, and the habits of some had become so much like those of the Egyptians that they preferred to dwell in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord did not deliver them by the first manifestation of his power before Pharaoh. He overruled events more fully to develop the tyrannical spirit of the Egyptian king and also to reveal himself to his people. Beholding his justice, his power, and his love, they would choose to leave Egypt and give themselves to his The irony is that even after he does all this, if you read the story of the Israelites, when they face some difficulty, what do they do? Ah! Oh, I miss Egypt. Can you imagine a slave saying, I, I miss my slavery? And yet that's the, that's the amount of abuse and, and um, mental uh, reality warp that had gone on. That basically that they look back and they say, Oh, I miss the onions and the leeks and the garlic of Egypt. They literally say that. So go check your Bibles. They miss the food. And they, they almost think that they were kings and queens back there instead of <laughs> slaves. Their view, their perspective had become so... And so God has to really work through events to get that mentality to change, to give them a perspective paradigm shift so they realize, actually, Pharaoh in Egypt is a terrible place to be, and I would rather serve God, and I would rather be with God. Because at the end of the day, it's not about whether you're in Egypt or the promised Land. What makes you either a Joseph or a Joshmul is whether you serve Pharaoh or God. It's not about the real estate. And the truth is, we have ourselves, whether we realize it or not, become so um, influenced by our upbringing, our culture, you know, whatever it may be around us, that we have believed the lies, lies like God doesn't really love me, He's really not a loving God, God is not fair, God is not really enough, God doesn't want us to have any fun. What I'm doing isn't really hurting me. It's really not that bad. God should fix all my problems. If I follow God, I will have to give up everything. It's not worth it. God can't forgive what I've done. All these different lies that we believe because we have been in an environment where our slave master, you could call it, has put all those lies inside our heads. And in order for God to free us, if he just took away our troubles, would we really be free? Or could it be that, through our trials, God wants to show us, one, how terrible sin is, and how a world where sin reigns, a world where selfishness is number one, the consequences of that is really terrible. And that, two, God is someone who, if we recognized Him as King, that there would be a world that where it's no longer selfishness and sin and destruction and disaster that follow. But actually, that's how peace and harmony is. Could it be that through those months of April, God wants to show his justice and his judgment? He says to the Israelites, Look, I'm not only going to try to take you out, I'm going to I'm going to um, execute justice on this nation that had abused you. Could it be that God is doing something more in our difficulties? That in the silence and in the storm, he's trying to shake us out of our comfort and our complacency so that we would actually long and cry out, Your will be done. Your kingdom come. What he desires is not just relocation, but re-identification. At the end of the plague, the very last plague, do you remember what it was? God asked the Israelites to do something. Up until then, he had just protected them, protected them during all the plagues. But in the very last plague, the firstborn child of every family is going to die unless the family takes an animal, takes the blood from the animal, puts it on the wooden frames of the door, and if they did that, the angel would pass over that door, and no one inside would die. In that moment, God is finally giving the Israelites the opportunity to respond. He has shown them through the nine plagues that he is trustworthy, and he's saying, Look, now it's your choice. How are you going to respond? And after that one uh, day called Passover, God tells the Israelites, I want you to keep this day. I want you to remember it. And it's always, um, every year for the Israelites, the same month, the same day, for us in our calendar, sometimes March, sometimes April, um, this year was last week, right, that Passover is celebrated, a time to remember that it's a, it's a day when God actually saved his people. And after that last plague, they then exit out. Here's another story. Hundreds of years later, the Israelites have, have settled into their promised land. And now, um, you would think that they would remember how great God is. They would you know, worship Him faithfully. They would trust Him, they had this great relationship. But instead, they neglect Him. They forget about Him. They turn to other gods. And within, um, unfortunately, they ignore every every warning by every prophet. And what happens is they end up again In captivity, this time to Babylon. And then the Babylonians fall, and the Medo-Persians take over, and God in His mercy actually allows, um, He uses King Cyrus, and He sends a decree, and all the Israelites are allowed back to their land of Israel. But you know what happens is that a lot of the Israelites don't want to go back. They're very comfortable in Persia. Maybe they've intermarried, maybe they've set up shop, you know, they have their businesses, they have their children, they're like, ah! We actually would prefer to stay here. So actually, a majority of the Israelites stay stayed, And only a handful of the remnant actually go back to Israel to rebuild the city.
0: And one of the families
1: that stayed behind in Persia uh, was Mordecai and his niece Esther, or Hadesha. Now, Esther, um, if you've heard this story, um, you know, it's picked. She's beautiful. She becomes the new queen. And... There's this wicked guy named Haman, and Haman basically um, is trying to kill Mordecai and all the Jews. And he sends up, Haman creates this decree that says that basically every Jew in that whole area is going to be killed. And guess what time it is. Guess what month it is when this decree goes out. It is Passover time. It's April. It's April. Is there any blood that can save them now? Can you imagine how Mordecai felt as, as he heard that decree that every single Jew is going to be killed. And this guy Haman, he, he knows that Haman hates him. Can, I wonder if he felt guilty, like, because he hates me so much, he wants to wipe out my whole nation. And it's in that time that Mordecai goes to Esther and he says, Look, could it be that you are where you are She says to her, do you think you're safe because you're in the royal court? He says, could it be that God is, well, he didn't say God. He says, could it be that you are here for such a time? And then Esther, what she does is she she thinks about it. And then she calls uh, all the people together and she says, let's pray and fast for three days. And then afterwards, I'm going to go to the king. And I'm going to, to ask the king to save my people. And at that time, it was a death sentence to go before the king without being summoned. But she says that famous line, if I perish, I perish. And she goes. Now, I don't know if you realize, but the story doesn't quite end there. It's not just the king that says, okay, yep, everyone's okay now. The king cannot overrule that decree. Because the law of Persia was that once a decree is made, once a law is made, it cannot be annulled. So the only thing that the king can do is to make a new decree. And this new decree that he makes, he says, okay, on that day, on that day when all the Jews are going to be executed, and this was at the end of the year, towards Christmas time, um, slash January, February time, he says, on that day when they're all going to be killed, I, ma- I make this new decree that every Jew can now defend themselves. They can take weapons and they can fight. And so before, the decree said, all of you out there, feel free to kill the Jews. But now this decree says, all you Jews out there, feel free to defend yourselves. And there won't be consequences for that, you you can, and in fact there's even this uh, kind of hint that people should help them. And I think that's a very interesting case because in a lot of ways today, in our months of April, God doesn't always just take away the difficulties, but I think God gives us the weapons that we need to, to fight off the difficulties and the challenges in our lives. In essence, He gives us that new authority, that power, that ability to be able to get through whatever it is that we're trying to get through. And in history, on that day when the Jews are supposed to be annihilated, not only are they so well armed, but God sends this fear of them throughout the land so that in the end not a single one of them uh, is hurt and in fact they actually can go out and like do whatever they want with the enemies and they get, you know, uh, justice. And when you look at that story, Um, It's interesting because the name Esther, do you know what it means? Anyone? (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Esther is being (laughs) poked. Esther knows what it means because I (laughs) told her this week. So the name Esther means hidden. And the reason why, um, you know, she's named Esther is because she hid her Jewish identity, right? She didn't want anyone to know she was Jewish, so her name was Esther. But she's actually not the only hidden one in the story. Did you know that in the entire book of Esther, God does not appear? The name of God does not appear. You can go read the entire book of Esther, and the word God is not mentioned at all. At all. Not Lord, not God, not Jehovah, nothing. None of the very things of God are mentioned in the book of Esther. if you hear that, you might think to yourself, what, is that really true? Because when we hear the story of Esther, it just seems impossible for God not to have had hadn't in all of it. And I'm not saying He didn't. I actually think that God was there. But I think He remains hidden, just like today. God doesn't physically manifest Himself to us all the time. He doesn't audibly tell us what to do. He doesn't, you know, um, do something that everyone can tell. Oh yeah, that's God. But He works in our lives in such a way that when we look back, we have no doubt that it was God. When I, you know, was um, going to work for New York City, there was no way that a French literature major, um, 21-year-old Korean American, could go and pastor a church. I mean, I was working for that church, not exactly the pastor, but to be able to minister to those people in, in Manhattan. There was no way. And there was no way for me to have been sponsored to go to conference, uh, to seminary by the New York Conference. New Conference had never hired a woman before, they had never sponsored a woman before. There was no way. There was no way that uh, when I was about to graduate, you know, um, once we started dating, people told us, that, you know, it's impossible for you to find a place, a conference, that would hire both of you to work at one church. They said it was impossible. When I look back on my life, I can see that God had a hand in everything. It wasn't because, you know, Coincidences just came together. It wasn't because you know Roy and I worked out things um, and and strings were. When we look at our lives, look at your life and reflect. Even though at the time maybe God wasn't flashing neon signs saying it's me, (laughs) but when we look back in our lives, could it be that God was there, hidden, but there, working? Now in our month of April. Even though we may wonder why is life getting more difficult, not easier? Why is um, why is it that you know I have to wait for my prayers to be answered? Could it be that God is working, not just to change uh, our circumstances, but to actually change our character and to show us His love, His justice, and His power? When Jesus Himself was on the cross through the extreme suffering that he was going through. Once again, the month of April, we celebrated this last weekend. Jesus himself knows the agony of April. He understands what it's like to feel forsaken, to feel the silence of God, to wonder about his future, to to think, is this really worth it? Jesus himself is the God of April. And I think we have an opportunity in our moments and months of April, to think to ourselves, okay, I could look at my present circumstances and say, alright, God isn't coming through, it's not worth it anymore. Or we can respond by reflecting, perhaps, just as He has done in the past, there is something that He has promised for my future, that yeah, it's not here right now, but by faith I can cling on because He is the God of people. That perhaps Jesus himself who has suffered, who understands what it means to go through those months of April, is going to give us the strength to fight off whatever it is that we're struggling with. That not only is he the Passover lamb who died on the cross so that our sin can be passed over, but he's also the king of kings who, as our husband, holds out the scepter so that we can get this new life decree. And I want to challenge you. Um, we're almost at the end of April, <laughs> and even though the challenges in your personal life may continue on through May, uh, and maybe even further, but I just want to challenge and encourage you that the God of April is with us, and as we reflect, that we would respond by saying, God, because you live, I don't have to fear the future so much. Because you live, life is worthless. And because you live, um, I will trust and get through this month, get through this time. And perhaps this will end up being a blessing for myself and for those around me. So I'll leave you with that thought. And uh, I think Roy is going to sing a song. Uh, and the word will not be on the screen, but um, if you just listen with your heart, um, I pray that the words.
2: There's a artist by the name of Andrew Peterson, and he writes a song called The Silence of God, and he comments on this song that as he was writing this, uh, he was going through quite a difficult time in, in his life where God seemed very distant, and it was just a time of inner, inner turmoil, and he basically steps away from his wife, steps away from his family, and goes off by himself to this monastery in Kentucky. And basically, he's by himself, he's kind of communing with God, asking him, why, why is my life so difficult right now? And as he's walking through um, some of the property that the monastery owns, he sees this statue of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and as he looks at Jesus, the statue of Jesus, he's impressed with an answer from the silence, and he writes a song. So um, I'd like to share it with you guys um, this afternoon. <laughs>
1: I'm just prop. <laughs> Don't expect yeah. me to sing. She's actually
2: singing the whole song. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs>
0: it's enough to drive a man crazy. It'll break a man's faith. It's enough to make him wonder If he's ever been sane When he's bleeding for comfort From thy staff and thy rod And heaven's only answer Is the silence of God And it'll shake a man's timbers it's his heart when he has to remember what broke him apart. This yoke may be easy, but this burden is not, when the crying fields are frozen by the silence of God. And if a man has got to listen, To the voices of the mob, Who are reeling in the throes Of all the happiness they've got When they tell you all their troubles Have been nailed up to that cross Then what about the times When even followers get lost Cause we all get lost sometimes There's a statue of Jesus on a monastery knoll
1: In the hills
0: of Kentucky, all quiet and cold And he's kneeling in the garden, silent as a stone And all his friends are sleeping, he's weeping all alone man of all sorrows, he never forgot what sorrow was carried by the hearts that he bought. So when the questions dissolve into the silence of God, the aching may remain, but the breaking does not. Aching may remain, but the breaking does not, and the holy lonesome echo of the silence of God. Let's
1: pray. Father God, the silence, may we remember that you died for us and that you resurrected so that through you we can have the Passover experience of knowing that uh, we're saved from our sins, even though it might take a long time, even though it might mean difficulty in our lives, that Father, ultimately you are saving us from our sins. And not just that, Father, you are our King of Kings, our husband, the, the king who holds up the scepter so that we can have a new decree of life so that we can be given the weapons, the spiritual weapons, to fight with courage and with strength, the temptations and the trials that face us. I thank you that because you are the God of April, because you have been there too, that you are able to deliver us. So I ask for patience and wisdom and and strength um, as we comfort each other and as we encourage one another to get through our months of April, our, our times of difficulty. And Father, may we have faith, may we be able to triumph and... Rest in your promises so that we too can praise you um, as you look back on our month of April then um, and share with each other testimonies of how good you are. I pray in the name of your son, Jesus.